Hey, what's up? Thanks for joining me on the Jason Chambers podcast. Today, we're here talking to BJJ OG. That's a mouthful to say. Jeff Glover. And we're going to find out one of his secret training tools for BJJ, as well as how long it took him to smoke the pound of weed he won on high rollers. Stick around. Hey, what's up, everybody? My buddy, BJJ Black Belt, ADC medalist, all around bad motherfucker, Jeff Glover. Jeff, thanks for joining us today, man. Jason Chambers, good to see you, man. It's been a while. It has been. Thanks for inviting me on your show. No, no worries, but it's been um, years. I think the last time we saw each other was probably at Hollywood BJJ when Frangio was teaching up there, and that was, God, several years ago. That's right. I remember that. Good times. It is. It is, man. So, you know, like... You've, you're one of those guys that you competed at featherweight, you moved up to lightweight a few times, and back when I was like more active in the MMA space, your name came up every third day, basically. Like you were just crushing it in every tournament. Like you were that, that little guy that was just murdering guys. And, um, and really like back then, I hate to say this sounds like we're really old, but Nogi wasn't as prevalent it was, it, as it is now, man. Like I took like several years off and I came back and I'm like, everybody's heel hooking everybody now. And it's like, if you didn't know a thousand and one Ashigarami entries, you were, uh, you were just getting smoked. So how have uh, how have you been in the jiu-jitsu community? Have you been keeping up with stuff? Or do you still prefer gi, no gi? Where are you at? Um, yeah, you know, I I remember I remember those days like you were saying. I remember uh, the first the first no gi tournament was a Jean Jacques Machado, and it was a gi and no gi tournament. It was like gi on Saturday and then no gi if you want to no gi on Sunday if you want to do that. And it was like Tyrone Glover went and whooped everyone's ass. I had a really good time. Um, I remember thinking, and, and you know, it's funny, Jason, at that tournament, you were still, they, they had yet to outlaw grabbing the shirts. So people were still trying to do bow and arrow chokes with people's shirts and <laughs> shirts were getting ripped and shorts were getting grabbed and everyone was grabbing shorts. And it was just, it was just a mess. And by, you know, after that first event, they were like, okay, no grabbing the clothes dog. <laughs> but you know, it's funny. It's like Eddie Bravo added, um, added strikes with, I forget what it is, but he has that, that combat jujitsu thing. What if they made a, a, like a no-gi division and you could wear whatever you want, but then you could use that. You could grab shorts. You could just gi choke people with shirts, go crazy, take your shirt off, use it as a lasso. That could be like another exactly. evolution of how the sport goes, right? Because I mean, that's kind of, that's realistic, right? Like if you're wearing a hoodie, that's kind of like a gi. You can use that in some fashion and, you know, play with sleeves and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it would be of a ch- more of a challenge, you know, I mean, the idea is to go out there and I mean, you know, you see Abu Dhabi dudes are out there and they're sh- just shorts, just a pair of shorts, no shirt, nothing. Yeah. You know, um, I think back in the day, Solo wore a gi in Abu Dhabi one time um, and Jeff Munson like used it to hold him down. And it's just not a good idea, man. The gi, you know, it's it's a weapon. It's a rope wrapped around your body. Um, and if your opponent knows how to use it, I mean, you're definitely giving them an advantage, especially if you don't have if they don't have one and you have one, it's probably not the best thing you know it's funny because when eddie fought hoyler the second time uh he wore gi pants and i think that and i don't want to be misquoted but i'm almost positive that hoyler told him like to wear the gi pants i don't know if eddie brought it up or not but like for something like lockdown it actually works really well as an offensive tool too because i mean like if you've got that crazy that crazy grip with uh, with gi pants on it, it makes it really difficult to pass um absolutely man i can attest to that i i um I had done a few tournaments towards the end of my career and um, you know, the spat game spats and, and cool rash guards were really in fashion. And I was kind of pushing that trend a little bit. I was, I, I had my sponsor making me all the superhero spats and um, I competed a few times wearing a full length spat all the way down to the ankle. 
And I remember um, it kind of, it kind of messed up my game. My, my, my calves were not able to catch the grip I needed when I was climbing on people's backs to try to climb up for, for rubber, high guard attacks, triangles, arm bars. My, the, the, the material of the rash guard was slipping my leg down down the dude's back and it was killing my game and like dude if i had gi pants usually with gi pants i mean you that connect that friction is there from the gi pants and you don't slip so um you know i i i think eddie's a genius man the gi pants are awesome and 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 to that note too i also the second match i won that match but the second match if you watch i actually rolled my pants up my 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 spats i rolled them up to my knees so that my calves could get traction for the uh the other matches <laughs> so how did you uh, initially get started doing bjj my coach uh frangia he him and his family moved here to america you know the great brazilian pilgrimage of the uh late 1990s they all started coming here and um you know frangia came to santa barbara him and his wife Nobody spoke English, but they had, you know, visas and, and all the paperwork to come here and try to try to live the American dream. And, um, you know, they just so happened to be in my neighborhood where I was living with my mother, you know, when I was 16. And, um, you know, neighbors, I get to meet everybody in the neighborhood, of course. So I made friends with them and bada bing, bada boom. Two weeks later, I'm addicted to jujitsu. And did you start training gi? Mm -hmm. And how long before you decided you wanted to take the, the gi tap off? Was it congruent or was it a little bit more down the road? Frangia was always pretty cool about doing no gi. I think like every Friday, like oftentimes he would have us just do no gi. We'd be training and he would be like, all right, everybody take off your gis. We'd be like, what? what? He'd be like, yeah, take off your gis. And we'd all take off our gis and start doing jujitsu without the gi. He'd make us roll our pants up, like roll your pants up, take the gi off. Um, of course, our primary goal that guy's life was about winning Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournaments. And that's what I did. If Frangia was like, yo, Jeff, we are, uh, I jump off cliffs. I would have jumped off cliffs. If he, if he was like, yo, Jeff, I'm, I'm into tagging. I would have been into tagging. If he was like, yo, Jeff, I'm into drug dealing. I would have been into drug dealing. But Frangia <laughs> was into Brazilian jiu-jitsu with the gi winning tournaments. And that's what I did, you know. Uh, but he was very welcoming to no gi. Uh, really, really early on, I remember it, it, it was it was something he was into when I was white belt. You know, I was watching one of your matches um, with uh, Cara Terra. It's probably I, I'd say arguably one of your biggest wins. Uh, Cara won, I think, with like the world's like seven times or something as a black belt. He's just smashing everybody. And um, I was laughing because I don't think you've ever had a boring jujitsu match. Like if anyone's ever on YouTube and you're, you want to go see some crazy jujitsu, you always look so comfortable and so relaxed in your matches. And, and um, talk us through your mindset when you go in there. Um, yeah, you know, I always give credit to my, my coach and um, the first two, maybe three years of my jujitsu where he focused on um, my defensive skills, my, my, my prevent, my mount prevention, not getting mounted, not getting my guard passed, not getting swept, not really focusing on submissions, um, because those would come. Uh, and I think a lot of people kind of skip past that fundamental two, three years that I, I was really, really immersed in and um, was really pushed upon me um, before he really let me um, start exploring my own game. He wanted to make sure first my defense was good. And it's just such an attestment to what a, what a great coach he is, what a, what a mastermind of, of self-defense in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Ricardo Frangia Miller is. 
Um, you saw the results in my game, man. My defense was always on point. My defense was so good that my de- my offense looked casual and 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 relaxed. And and you know, uh, again, I'll say it, it's it's mostly because the confidence I had in my defense that I could escape anything, and there's no position you could hold me in that I couldn't get out of. Yeah, you know, I think that one of the things that um, I've seen a lot, and maybe you can speak to this too, is because of the prevalence of like the Danaher death squad and EBI and everyone just going crazy with leg locks and heel hooks. And I mean, you've been doing jujitsu for a long time too, man. And like, there was a point in the jujitsu community when like heel hooks and toe holds were kind of looked at as like the dirty, the dirty move. And that was really not taught or focused on. It was taught, but it wasn't the focal point where people have built these whole systems around it. Um, now everybody wants to come into the gym and they want to learn like what I call the, uh, the seminar moves. The, these are the cool things. It looks cool. It's fun to do. Cause I mean, arguably like learning mount defense and escapes and, and uh, hip escapes, that's not nearly as fun as like flying ashigramis. Um, do you think that schools nowadays that you see the better schools are the ones that are, that are really drilling into people's heads. You got to work on defense first. I think that, that that's the only way to become a great champion. The only, the only, only, only people who have um, unbelievable defense are, will become the champions. That's the only way, especially if they start first and foremost with the defense. That's why, again, that's why you can see the flying jumping moves that I do is because the confidence that if I fail on a flying attack, which is awesome, you know, if I fail at some rolling, jumping fucking ninja move, you know, I know that the, the you know, the foundation of my game is still there. And if, if I walk myself into something, I'm going to escape. And when I have that confidence, it plays through in my face. It plays through in my posturing. It plays through in my game. And I think that's what made my jujitsu look so beautiful, like you said, is I, I look so relaxed. But the relaxation only comes from the confidence that I know. I didn't, I wasn't like trying to trick myself and, and be like, oh, tell yourself that you you have amazing defense. It was like, no, dog, I know nobody has better defense than me. I just knew that. And that will give you a confidence that's hard to fake. So when you look at guys like uh, like Nikki Rodriguez or some of the guys that have come over from wrestling, they kind of have a completely 180 mindset, whereas they're not focused on D as much. They're focused on just that constant pressure, pressure, go, go, go. Do you think that that's... Um, the, the mindset of a wrestler is is more beneficial for the average jiu-jitsu guy walking in the door? Do you think they should focus more on the aggressive mindset of wrestling? Because jiu-jitsu can be a little lazy at times. We can be a little kind of butt scoot, flop to our butts. Or do you think that focusing on defense is, is the best way to go if you're just starting jiu-jitsu? No, that's a great question. I think uh, a lot should be, uh, something that should be taken into consideration is that Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Gracie jiu-jitsu with the gi, a lot of it was not meant for professional athletes. A lot of it was made for dudes that, you know, are have to go to work tomorrow morning and, you know, can't have a fucking busted up knee, have their knee shredded apart. That's why Brazilian jiu-jitsu outlawed the heel hook because the tendency for people to get hurt and, and cancel their memberships because of heel hooks and ruining the teacher's business. So let's just outlaw that just like we outlaw slamming. There's several, we outlaw punches to the face. There's a lot of things that, yes, they're valuable. Yes, they work very well. Um, but for the, you know, average person who's coming in to just do Brazilian jiu-jitsu for exercise and wants to have fun with it, you know, I could see why the old school jiu-jitsu guys were like, yo, don't be hooking each other, dog. 
you're going to ruin one of my students and there's my membership for a month. And now I just lost 120 bucks a month because you heel hook some dude. Yeah. And one of the things too, I, that I found personally is, um, you know, like as you do more jujitsu, you build up this, this danger meter in your head and, and like in terms of how comfortable you are when you're a white belt, it's your first day in class. Sometimes guys will just be crossed out on you and you're going to tap because you panic in that position. As you get to be, be better, you kind of, you can hold off to the, you get those almost blackout moments and then you escape in, in heel hooks. Like there's not really that it goes zero to breaking so quickly. You don't really have the arm bar, the, the torque, the tension, the, the I'm about to black out. You think that's one of the reasons that, that it makes them um, so much more of a, a liability for schools? Absolutely. Well said. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I've watched a few more of your matches coming into this and then just having watched you compete in grapplers quest. I think that the two things that when I say the name Jeff Glover, people say as they go, oh man, his fucking deep half is, is awesome, awesome shit. And I use a lot of your deep half and I love it. And the other thing is donkey guard. <laughs> how did you come up with both of those? And let's talk about uh, how do you uh, fit those into your, your teaching curriculum? Well, the deep half guard, um, my coach Frangia, one of his jujitsu brothers was a guy named Eduardo Jamalau from Brazil, obviously. And um, that was his speciality was that style of game in Brazil. They called it the rocking chair is the history behind it. Cause you could like rock back and forth until you get the guy to sweep, you know, and then you play all the options off of it. And Jamalel spent three months here in Santa Barbara training with us exclusively at Paragon, you know, teaching all the classes and stuff. And um, that was his primary focus. And it just came really naturally to me. Um, I started using it um, almost every scramble I got into. And then I was able to, from his teachings, able to kind of, which I felt like no, no offense to Jamalau, but I feel like the way he was doing the deep half guard just could have used a little more refining for the Nogi for Nogi. He used a lot of lapels and stuff. And I don't think that he really used like a system. I think he just had a, a whole, a, a bunch of moves. He's like, yo, let's just try this move. Let's get there and try this move. Ah, oh, that move didn't work. Let's try that move. Ah, oh, that didn't move didn't work and you just keep trying moves till one works the way that i um turned it into a little system i think is something that um i'm very proud of personally to be honest with you and uh it's the most important part of my game it's the most useful part of my game it's um you know the part of my game that really doesn't require any flexibility a lot of the jiu-jitsu i do depends on the fact that my freaking legs go behind my head my knees bend all the way backwards and i'm fucking flexible as hell um, so when I ask a lot of people to, okay, now do this move that I did in the tournament, ask a class of, you know, 40 year old dudes that are a little bit overweight to do that move. It's, it's a failing mission. You know, it's just, it's a lost cause. But when I teach them that deep half guard system, it doesn't matter how big they are, how fat they are, how skinny they are, if they're strong, if they're weak, if they're a man, if they're a woman, if they're a kid, doesn't matter. That shit seems to fucking work. As opposed to when I teach triangles, dog, if I teach triangles to a room of people, a room of, of 20 people, like four dudes can do that shit. Yeah. It's crazy. Like how much body style really does play into that. I mean, like Bruce Lee probably said it best, you know, use what is useful. And uh, I think even when I teach, I try to tell people to, to look out, you know, your body, it's hard. If you're five foot eight, 190, 215 pounds, and you got those short legs, triangles probably aren't going to be your best, your best situation. You're going to be working a lot better with, with a, a butterfly guard sweeps or stuff like that, or vice versa. Like if you're six foot nine wrestling, not going to be your strong suit. Like you, for you, it takes you six minutes to sprawl because you're so damn high. So like, do, when you teach, do you teach, um, like more fundamental things that work for everyone? Or do you think that it's important that everybody finds their own niche? Or do you kind of have like a base of this is what you need to know? And then we progress from there. 
Uh, that's a lot of stuff you said, you know, that's all good stuff. That's all good stuff for teaching. You know, I like, I like the idea of, of show them, don't tell them. I like to like just demonstrate and not even like talk my way through the moves and just like try to get them to learn monkey see monkey do. I've found a lot of times that works really well. That worked for me, especially early uh, with my coach because I didn't understand his, his accent and he didn't really speak English, but I mean, he was demonstrating the moves fucking perfectly. He was making zero flaws and I learned pretty damn well that way. Um, you know, the other thing, um, what else were you saying about, um, about teaching people? What were you saying? Yeah. Body styles and how they kind yeah, of the body styles. Absolutely, man. You know, that's, that's what I think. Another thing back to my coach, what I think he does, why he's such a great coach is he, he creates a, a platform for you to build your own style off of, um, he provides you the, you know, 15, 20 essential defensive principles that you need to know. He makes sure he drills those into his white belts, man. That guy is adamant about that. And um, I think from that, it creates a platform, or was for me at least, to branch off and, and find the moves that work really well for me, throw them into my, into, th throw them together and create a game. Hmm. At, at what point do you think that uh, guys training jujitsu should get away from like the fundamentals and start developing their own game plan? That's a good question. You know, that, that's, that's, that's a good question. I think you kind of have to cross the bridge for yourself, man. You're going to have to figure that out on your own students. You know, um, definitely don't be in a rush. I see so many people get in a rush. They, they just can't wait to be good. And they're, they compare themselves to people that are way better than them. And they put themselves in divisions they don't belong in. Um, don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, but just look forward to it. Look forward to it. If you have a coach that's not letting you develop your own game after a few years, that doesn't sound fun. What are some of your the things that you look for when you're promoting guys? You know, I hate promoting dudes. I hate I hate doing that. You hate promoting? <laughs> I don't. I don't enjoy that, man. Well, how come um, you don't? Uh, how come you don't enjoy promoting guys? I don't know, dude. I don't like belts. I don't like the belt system. Sometimes it bothers me. You know, the whole like, to me, I think if you want to find out who the best person in the room is, roll with them. Not like base off what their color of their belt is, you know, respect for that belt. I mean, I do love the belts. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's kind of a love hate thing for me. Um, the thing about promoting students that bothers me the most, I suppose, is, um, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't really care about that. I just want them to have good jujitsu. I don't, I never notice like what belt they're at. Um, I don't know. It's a tough question. I kind of can't explain that. I'm thinking about it. Why I don't like doing that. Well, it's what's crazy about the belt system, right? Is like for, if you said to someone, Hey, I'm a Brazilian jujitsu black belt, just average guy. Like there's, there's a certain level of respect that goes along with that. And then you get guys like, like Nikki Rodriguez who trained two weeks of jujitsu, went to a local tournament and, and was beating the crap out of black belts. I think he had one fifty six to nothing. And, and, and admittingly that by his own admission, I mean, a lot of that was his athleticism. So you put a guy like Nikki Rodriguez in a room with a bunch of guys that are high level and those belts, I mean, what do they really mean in real world practicality when everyone kind of has their own skill set that they bring to the table? It's just really about, you know, filling in those voids and, and getting better where you need to, to progress. Yeah, I think that just assumes that, you know, jujitsu is superior to, to, to wrestling is that people would think that but like, oh, well, the black belt, you know, this, this blue belt athletic dude. Like, why are we shocked by that? You know, because because I think we've put jujitsu on this pinnacle. We put it up on this shelf. 
and it and it's just holds so much value. We're like, oh, yo, Hoist won UFC one, two, and three with jujitsu, and he beat all these other martial arts. Jujitsu is the best. Jujitsu can't be proven wrong. And then some dude comes around, Nikki, he doesn't know shit about jujitsu, you know, wins. But but also too, you know, his wrestling. Wrestling is a martial art, if you ask me, man. Sure. You don't see kids in high school wrestling programs getting picked on. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we're, we're like, oh, it's a sport to me. It's a fighting art. And yeah. um, I think I think wrestlers are just as, if not more, dangerous in the streets in bar fights um, than a jujitsu black belt. So, have you ever thought about competing in MMA? Uh, no. There was never a, never a point in uh, any point in your career. You just wanted to do jujitsu and kind of coast out the grappling scene. Yeah, you know, I just, um, like I said, if my coach was doing MMA, I would have done MMA. But I just wanted to, I wanted to walk in that man's footsteps. And what that man did was Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. When you, um, when you competed, did you feel like you gravitated more towards doing gi, no gi, or did you enjoy them both equally? Mm. That's a good question. I enjoy, I enjoy doing gi, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I love doing submission wrestling, no gi fighting. Um, I mean, I even enjoy doing like MMA sparring with people, you know, I enjoy boxing. I enjoy, you know, kickboxing with my friends. I enjoy going takedown. I enjoy all that stuff. Um, but I think I was just really, really good at, at no-gi submission wrestling. That's where I really shined. That's where, you know, when, when people don't have the ability to like hold me down with a gi and I can get all squirmy and fucking move and scramble and spin and front roll and shoot and dive and dup and dog and pitch. I can do all that shit. That's where I shined. Do you still uh, ever think about competing or are you still active competing? Uh, you know, I took a step back. I retired when I was 34 and 38 now. So about three or four years ago, uh, I did a retirement match with high rollers and I won the match and it was a great way to go out on a victory, a submission victory in the gi. Um, I won a pound of weed. Eddie Bravo was the ref. I mean, it was just a glorious moment, man. My dad was there. My dad's never been to a tournament in my life. My dad showed up to that one, you know, um, it was just a, it was, it was a beautiful moment for my life and my, for my career. And I would hate to um, taint it by trying to get more attention than I've already gotten in this community. And I feel like I've gotten enough damn attention. And I feel like if I got any more attention, I'd be like a 20 year old at a high school party. <laughs> a little out of, a little out of place you know it's crazy you know what though. yeah i mean like it's it's you look at how big i think the ebi was one of the tipping points too but i mean jiu-jitsu really in the last few years has grown at such a a, a fantastic pace and like i you know you look at guys like gordon ryan which you know he's an outlier obviously he's he's the arguably the goat right i mean outside of guys like maybe even marcelo garcia up there but it was unheard of to be someone who was making deep six, seven figures a year doing jujitsu uh, up until a few years ago. Is that something that's ever kind of been in the back of your head? Like, man, I, I wonder if there's an opportunity to, you know, make a little more cheddar on this or are you just happy with where you're at? Um, you know, I was, I come from such humble um, family roots from such a broke family with, with just, just a horrible situation. I was so happy with my life as just a black belt. Even if I had no money, I was so happy just, you know, living in gyms and living in a van or living in little apartments here and there, renting a room from a friend. I was so happy living that way because of the respect that I was getting in my life from the jujitsu community. They, they didn't care that I was where I was living. They're like, Jeff, we love you, dog. And, and when you're loved, it kind of can like, I don't know, at least for me, it kind of made me feel like I didn't need money. You know, 
And um, maybe that was an excuse. Maybe that was an excuse for me in one way of being a lazy piece of crap who should, you know, you know, take more advantage of the um, opportunities that I have and the experience that I have and, and capitalize on it and, and monetize it more. Um, maybe it was a little bit of denial and all that, but I'll tell you what, since I started working with BJJ Fanatics, my life's turned around a lot. And now I get really fat checks every month and I'm living in a really nice place and I'm saving money. Um, you know, I, I have uh, freed up so much extra time because of the money I get from my DVD sales to, uh, I freed up so much extra time that I've started a few other projects. I have a few side projects. I've done a tournament. I've done 10 tournaments in the last year and a half, maybe like two years now that I've hosted with the Hells Angels in Ventura. I'm the only person to ever host a tournament at the Hells Angels Clubhouse. We did it nine times. <laughs> what, what, what does that even look like? A tournament with, is anyone trepidatious about going to these tournaments considering the, the, the typical bad rap that like the Hells Angels get? Of course, and that's part of the, that's part of the draw and that's part of the enchanting uh, feeling that you get when you're inside that clubhouse. You're like, oh, these dudes, they're Hells Angels. They got their club, they got their patches on. Their 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 cuts. The motorcycles are all parked outside. The mats are laid down. They're serving. They got a bar. They're serving everyone drinks. Everyone's drinking and watching the fights, and it's just a great time, man. And and like I said, I've been able to free up a lot of time to put energy and and thought into into uh, making a project like that work. And it's been awesome because it, it was a good source of income for me in the last couple of years. I made like in the last year and a half, I made like over fifty thousand dollars doing those tournaments. Oh, wow, that's crazy for tournaments. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't keep all that money. A lot of that money went to the Hells Angels. Sorry. That's all right. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of that money went to the competitors. Um, but uh, it's, it's been awesome lately. The last few years that I've been working with fanatics, the other project I did was I've done a camp. Um, the other project is um, yeah, the camp, the seminars. I, I, I hooked up with Dean Lister's booking agent. And uh, Dean Lister's booking agent has me booked almost, I mean, for a while there, I was booked every weekend in different jujitsu schools all over the country. And that pulled me another like $50,000 last year. So last year I had a very profitable year, I'm proud to say and happy to say. Um, so if someone's uh, at one of these, your seminars and they come up to you and go, man, Jeff, this is my third month doing jujitsu. What's the, what's the, the secret? I know I always hear you know, show up, go to class, go to class. But what's a, what's something that's like some great advice you can give me to really get good at jujitsu quick. I tell people get a stability ball and start balancing on that motherfucker. There's, there's, there's literally thousands and thousands of free videos on YouTube showing you what to do on that. And um, if you want to expedite your mastery of balance and your ability to scramble quickly and, um, and all that stuff that comes along with it and, and increase your flexibility, get a stability ball. I don't know what you call them, a yoga ball, stability ball, yeah, um, whatever they're called. And and start start um what's it called? Supplementing your jujitsu classes with that. You know, an hour before, an hour after class is what I used to do. Um, I didn't do it as like a regiment, like it was like, oh, that's on my schedule of what I'm doing today. I did it because it was fun and I had nothing else to do. And I would do it. I would just do it over and over again for hours and hours. Me and my friend Bill are so good at it now. It makes our scrambling in jujitsu easy by comparison. Yeah, that's actually brilliant, man, because there's those attributes like those. Those are things that it's hard to. Um, to turbocharge the development of, you know, like you get that base from not getting swept. And that's why I think 
starting in gi is always, uh, even if you want to do no gi, gi teaches you, in my opinion, to have better defenses because there's a bunch of ways you can get choked. And, and, um, you know, no gi makes you better offensively. But also with a gi, you're getting pulled all these different ways. And like when, you know, your first day in jujitsu class, you're having a hard time just sitting up in guard. Someone moves their hips and you're flopping over and stuff. That's great with the stability ball. I'm going to, I'm going to get my stability ball out here and, and give that a shot, man. I've got a freaking horrible knee. I've had an ACL injury for years, but um, I, I need to stop making excuses and get back on the mat more often. So, <laughs> so, you know, if you could change one thing, about the landscape of jujitsu now, if they said, okay, you're the president of our sport, what would you do differently? Um, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't change anything, but I would add stuff. Um, I don't know. That's a pretty good question. I would kind of like a minute to think about that. Um, like it's like some serious question. It means something like my answer is going to be something. This this has to be super important. You can't change it. Yeah. I don't know. When you you were asking me that question, Henzo Gracie kept coming into my mind. And I think of Henzo as the president of our community. He's the king of jujitsu right now, if you ask me. And, um, you know, all I can think about is how he smiles and greets everybody with a hug. And he doesn't give a fuck what team you're from. He doesn't give a fuck if you're 10P. He doesn't give a fuck if you tapped out one of his students or submitted one of his cousins in the tournament or beat one of his brothers in the tournament. He doesn't care, dog. Everybody gets a hug and respect from that dude. And, um, you know, considering how much he's done for the sport, it's just, it's just beautiful to see the humbleness that that man has and continues to have as he gets older. And um, I just, as you were saying that, I, I was just thinking to myself, like, man, if I was in that position and I was like the president of jiu-jitsu, I hope I would act like Henzo. Yeah, like you, there's nobody that's ever met Henzo that that just didn't love the guy. He's like the most personable, warm, um, altruistic human, I think, yeah. in the face of the earth. So if Henzo would be president of the jiu-jitsu space, what's that make John Danaher, like secretary of state? or? Well, Jocko would be vice president. Danaher would be vice president? Jocko, Jocko. Oh, Jocko would be vice. Yeah, it's a good point. He'd be vice president. What, what would that mean? Danaher would be sergeant at arm. Ah, that's a, that's a very good point. Have you ever had a chance to uh, train with John? I did. I did. Um, I did a class with him in New York. Me and Pete the Greek. Right when co- when COVID first closed all of New York down. What was that like? Twenty nineteen or twenty twenty or something like that. Yeah, there's a March. Pete and I were out on the East Coast, and we we had gone in there, and we literally took the last class, Jen. John Danaher taught before all that shit got shut down for the winter or whatever. Yeah. Was he teaching one of his, his, uh, his bifurcated classes where he teaches half with gi, then half with no gi, then he goes back yeah. and forth. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. like mind blowing to me. That's one of those things. It's like a magician that does something so well. You go, I could do that. And then when you try it, you're like, wait, your brain just turns to pudding. That's always been impressive to me that he's able to kind of, you know, touch on both of those and then to keep the fluidity and the pace of both and to be able to micromanage both people and the nuances of everything going on too. That just really is a testament to how brilliant that guy is as a coach. Well, you know, some people have higher IQs than the rest of us. I know, I'm meeting more and more of them the more I do this podcast. <laughs> so it's been great, man. Well, where can we uh, where can we check out some of your videos? And if someone wants to have you out for a seminar and follow you on Instagram, is that the easiest way to get a hold of you? Is Instagram social media platform? Yes, Mr. Chambers. Thank you for asking that. Um, BJJ Fanatics sells my instructional videos, and um, that helps me out a lot. I'm on Instagram, Jeff Glover BJJ, and I'm always posting stupid shit on there. Um, Are you touring with seminars at all? Oh, yes, my seminars. I have a booking agent. It's called Strikers International. He's actually a 
he started off booking um, kickboxing seminars, met Dean, and now almost exclusively books grappling seminars because grappling seminars make way more money and way more people. This is what he tells me, man. This is what he's telling me. He's like, yo, dog, my, my, my striking seminars like dried up when I started doing grappling and offering people Dean Lister seminars. That's um, funny. So, yeah, his name is Dave uh, Strikers International is the Instagram, and he has all my rates and takes care of all the booking and everything. So good stuff man yeah. well, we'll put up all those links we'll put your uh, instagram up here all everywhere so people can check you out and i appreciate you taking some time man i uh, i love the old ogs from from california and getting to pick your brain and i gotta know how long did that pound of weed last <laughs> that weed sucked i gave it away to everybody at the tournament that night really it was that bad you'd imagine they would have hung their hat on some good herb i know it wasn't even mid-grade dude i was walking around everybody get a handful everybody get a handful <laughs> start throwing it's it out in the crowd <laughs> just just buy a fog machine and just crop dust everybody they've done that too <laughs> oh fantastic man all right well i appreciate having you on man thank you so much jason chambers good to see you brother you too man take it easy bro